Yama. I'm Gamilaroi and Dungari woman Mali Silva, and this is Always Was, Always Will Be Our Stories, the podcast where I sit down with some of the most inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander role models in the country. On today's episode, I yarn with the dynamic duo behind one of the most recognisable Aboriginal owned and run clothing brands in the country, Clothing the Gap. Laura Thompson and Sienna Catullo are boss titters with incredible business minds and an attitude that sees them always striving to be better and do more. Leading a small but dynamic and passionate team, they've grown their business from products designed to work as health incentives attached to the Spark Health promotion business in Victoria to an our standalone brand producing deadly apparel for all people. Not only does Clothing the Gap Apparel look insanely cool, but it also works as a conversation starter around such campaigns as Free the Flag, Shades of Deadly, and their newest initiatives, Run Rona and the NADOC March virtual running events. I learned so much in this chat and have been so influenced by the work this mob does that they've even turned me into a runner, which is something I never thought I'd be. This was recorded just before Run Rona, where I ran 10 kilometers for the first time in my life. And you'll hear me be reluctant when the girls talk about convincing me to do the same for their NAIDOC event. I wasn't going to, but they got me and I ended up doing that as well. Laura and Sienna are incredible and I hope they leave you feeling as inspired as I was. Now it's into the show. So I start every single podcast with the same question, uh, that age old one of who's your mob, where you're from. So I'd love you guys to both introduce yourselves and um, yeah, let me know where you're from. So I'm Laura Thompson, I'm a Gumbukumara woman, um, but I've been born and raised in Wurundjeri country. And I'm Sienna Katulo, I'm Naranga mob, um, but also born and raised on Wurundjeri country. Yeah, great. And um, people would know who both of you are if they are um, fans, as so many people are, of the deadly brand Clothing the Gap uh, that you guys play a big part in. And um, yeah, I'd really love to talk about that today and the journey you guys have been on and um you know something really special that you guys do is this kind of activism through clothing which i think is um amazing and uh you know it it helps that it makes us look deadly too when we wear a lot of your stuff um i'd love you guys to and and maybe this starts with you laura uh talk about how clothing the gap started yeah sure um so we're health promotion professionals um, I don't know how we quite started a clothing business, but we know that the mob was kind of motivated by cool merch that sort of reinforced their identity that they just couldn't buy in shops. So we created and thought about clothes as health promotion incentives to get people to hang out with us every week. And it worked. <laughs> and if there were any leftovers, we just decided to put them online. So once we move into a sort of social enterprise model, we decided to sell our leftover stuff. And um, we started off as spark merch which wasn't very creative um and then once we nailed the branding around clothing the gap then um we certainly saw the brand sort of take off and when did when did you guys launch i feel like it was two years ago yeah we'll yeah. talk about i think november 2018 we officially made our clothing the gap um instagram page and mm. we had the videos and we organized the photo shoot so i think we started selling clothing the gap merch in like december 2018 yeah so we're still like relatively like, very new and like just probably in the last couple of weeks we've separated clothing the gap from our work at spark health so it's a um, social enterprise in its own right and its own business so that's yeah amazing and 
What exactly are both of your roles in Clothing the Gap? Um, I'm the managing director and Sienna's the top dog. <laughs> we, we, call, we call it the top dog, but we, we want to try to get official with the like chief creative officer. But um, my psycho craziness of like being a bit of a control freak has come out when we've started the clothing brand. So um, I sort of, yeah, have a bit of an outlook on everything that we do and um yeah, God bit, forbid I post anything fussy. on the I post anything on the Instagram page. Yeah, I think it's a nice um combo. I do a lot of the um artwork. Sienna is very clear about what she wants the creative to look like. Um, we're both quite stubborn, so um, and passionate about things. Don't like to give up. So sort of suits all the advocacy <laughs> stuff that we do and the stand we want to take for things. I think it works well. I think it's awesome as well because of our team is so small, there's four of us, we all do have quite a big say in things and it's nice just like when Laura does design something or I'll come up with like a one of the comms pieces, we can all come and have a look at it and, you know, we all criticise each other's work like it's crazy. You, you can't be offended. You can't come into our place and work if you're going to be easily offended because we do criticise that. Criticise for the right reasons and for love and I think <laughs> that's how we've come up with a lot of the pieces that we come up with and I think we've all equally had a huge part in everything that we've 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 done which is yeah cool. we do critique our work um a lot and we don't often pat ourselves on the back I just think it's the nature of how we work and it's only because we want it to be the best um product for the customer and that includes not just the way it looks but the way it feels and, and the story it tells yeah and the way we communicate it and where we get it made and all those things are really important to us as well that sounds like a really um awesome like team dynamic like I'm I'm very much uh the kind of person who thrives off that kind of critique to get better and better and um yeah I totally uh can empathize with the control freak stuff you're talking about Sienna because I'm exactly the same when it comes to our Twitter's Instagram I'm like my sister will write something I'm like that's great but I'm just gonna change this and this and everything so I totally get that um so I guess, you know, for me, and I think a lot of people would be in the same boat that we kind of came to know who you guys are uh, through the Free the Flag movement. And I, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, how that started and, um, yeah, where you're at today with it. Good question. Um, God, it's been about 18 months, I think, since that started, the Free the Flag. Um, I think we don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and when the um, when we got told that we couldn't use our flag and Sienna's got the flag tattooed on her and you know it's, it's my flag too I obviously care an enormous amount like so many black fellas when I got told I couldn't use it that was like don't tell me what to do the way they found it though was so hilarious because when we design stuff like it goes through like we do the designing and then it goes to the manufacturers and then they come back to us and be like you know, the design doesn't work with the way you want to make it, so we have to change it. So the whole process is just so long. So when the merch finally does arrive at office, we just get so excited because it takes like eight weeks to <laughs> come. So it was hilarious because me and the rest of the girls, Laura was in the office by herself that day and me and the girls were at a um, workshop somewhere and our hoodies had finally come. So our flag, the flag merch that we had was beanies with sweat towels and then we just made our new jumper and then we had also designed a t-shirt that hadn't come yet um but the hoodie was really cool laws laws designed it. it had all the mob names throughout the whole jumper language groups from all over australia all over the jumper and then it had 
so many flags when I was so tiny. There was a flag on the pocket, flag on the cuffs, flag on the back. Like you couldn't get enough. There was not a single way you could stand without seeing a flag. So they all came and Laura just got so excited. And I think she was sick that day because she had this sniffly nose that she goes up and you know, puts the jumper on and does a Facebook live and goes like, look how excited I am. <laughs> like messy hair. <laughs> and viral. Like there was over hundreds and hundreds of likes, um, hundreds of um, shares. Um, it went off. And for the, us back then, I don't know, we weren't used to getting so many likes and shares like that. But I think just the way Laura presented it, it wasn't like professional or like, you know, spent so much time on comms around it was just her being on a Facebook live behind a box break yeah (laughs) and I think I think Sienna really points it out really well is how do you maintain a professional look but how do you let people know the humanness Mm. behind both of us I think we've been able to do that really well but yeah anyway so after that video obviously Wham discovered us the day after they sent us a cease and desist they said you got three days to sell your stuff um Sarah and I done a little YouTube clip and I made that flag with the um, replace the sun with the money symbol. And then it was, then I went to PT session. And I remember going to PT session. I couldn't check my phone knowing I'd just released this thing out into the world. And I was like, no jokes. I was terrified. I thought I've just completely disrespected the Aboriginal flag. I've replaced the circle with a money symbol. Like I'm going to get smashed. I don't know what's going to happen. And then the opposite happened. No one criticised that image at all. Everyone embraced it, um, a huge amount of support. And then we just decided that um, we would never make flag products again um, and instead we would start a Free the Flag campaign. And we were really surprised all the way through that uh, very, very, very few people who received the cease and desist spoke up about it. Mm. Yeah, because when I first kind of saw all this stuff, like I just... I feel like so many people had no idea. Like if you're not in the business of of producing things with the flag on it, we just had no idea that was even the case. And I I remember Mm -hmm. actually seeing that that flag that you made, Laura, and and being like, oh, my gosh, like Mm -hmm. I can't believe and then on top of it, it was so amazing that you guys provided so much education about it and um, particularly how we're like our flag is like the only one that this sort of face, this kind of stuff. And, I mean, I don't understand like copyright and licensing and that sort of stuff, but um, it just blew my mind. And so you, I know, you know, from, from your gram um, that you guys have um, spent time, you know, with politicians and in in Canberra and things like that and um, where is it at now where's the process or what's the next steps um good question it uh, we keeping momentum on any campaign and at least at the moment is a political campaign um, they did threaten to serve us to take us to court but they never did in some ways um, we wish that they had because at least we could resolve this legally and we do have really great legal representation um, but they haven't pursued that and we have often thought about whether or not we just do some disruption in the space to go to court but there's risks for everyone if we weren't to win because it would set legal precedents. And our brand has grown so much as well since then and it's like you know at the start we're like yeah let's go to court for this we don't care we lose it we lose it but we'll have the flag back and we'll start we'll start fresh. Um, but now looking at the brand and like the flag is what's maybe gave us a lot of that publicity but it's grown so much bigger than that now and like we've run different campaigns that have mm. had a lot of lot of traction and a lot of support as well so we definitely don't want to lose the brand um 
but we still, you know, we're, we're passionate about the flag and we're going to continue to fight for that. Um, yeah. But it is a it is a political campaign. Yeah. Um, we did get the motion passed through Parliament, but that's symbolic. Oh, my God, God. Mm. Um, uh, you know, we are looking to set up a meeting with the Governor-General um, to talk about what that looks like. And I think... Um, not many people have had an opportunity to hear from a legal perspective from our um, legal team. And um, I was before the COVID-19 started thinking about how we can organise a national meeting. And now that we've sort of embraced this technology, I'm thinking this is going to be a lot easier to get people impacted by the flag now in a Zoom meeting and be able to connect everyone. So I think, you know, um, we've had lots going on, but I think that's the next step is how, um, how do I connect people to some of the expertise um, that's not just my voice or an advocacy voice, but some of the legal reps and um, let the community hear from them. But certainly we are constantly thinking of ways that we can continue to make noise around this. Mm -hmm. um, the flag's turning 50 years old in July next year. So that's, I think, my line in the sand. Like we either need to free the flag by then or we seriously start to think about whether or not we advocate um, for an adoption of a new flag. Um, I'll speak into my older auntie and, she, you know, and everyone knows this, the flag, it was still an Aboriginal flag, our flag, before it was adopted by the government as an official flag. So I think the community can embrace mm. an image as a flag. It doesn't need to be official. Yeah. Well, I can't, you guys, I bet when you started this, didn't ever think it would become, you know, a, a movement with you know the clothes that you're doing but now you like you've mentioned Sienna you've got a few campaigns that um speak to things that are really important for us and I think are so successful because we you know some of us quieter mob can wear the stuff and not you know don't have to say anything it, it speaks for itself um could you talk about some of the other campaigns I know the shades of deadly is a really beautiful thing as well and yeah. yeah, the Shades of Deadly started before, was it even before Free the Flag came out we did something? No, I don't think so. We did, like, it was a really, really tiny thing, you know, that we thought, I'm like, Shades of Deadly, you know, especially down south in, like, Vic Mob, I know especially, always, they're always being questioned about their identity, you know, they're always being told they don't look Aboriginal because they don't, you know, or Aboriginal people, not many Aboriginal people live in Melbourne because it's a city, you know, they all look in Northern Territory. So I've copped that my whole life. Um, and I know a lot of other people in Victoria cop that as well. So I'm like, let's start a campaign. And, you know, I look at your pages a lot, Marley, as well, like Titters for Titters, which is like an empower and embrace and an education platform. So I was like, why don't we start a campaign that's doing exactly that as well? Um, so it started really small and tiny. We didn't really put much into it um it was just like photos of you know people that we knew and got photos in our merch and just posted a shades of deadly on it um and then it wasn't until we were in bali <laughs> we get to do like <laughs> workshops to bali <laughs> nice <laughs> and it's so funny when we do work trips as well everyone's like like when we said we we're going to bali everyone's like you're not going to do any work there you're in bali you're lying you're just going for a holiday and pretending you're work working but it's the work trips that we go away with where we get the most done because, you know, we're, we're stuck in a nice villa by a pool, but we were together 24-7 for, for seven days. So um, that was when that video came out of the man in Mildura. Um, the man in Mildura that got, you know, racially attacked by his neighbours and said, told him he was an Aboriginal and the neighbours were trying to take down um, his flag and 
just that hashtag too strong for you. Yeah, the hashtag. Yeah. 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 We were in Bali sitting by the pool and I got to, and I was like, we have to, we have to revamp Shades of Deadly. Like now is the time that um, we can really make noise about it. And like, it's, you know, people are talking about it right now all over Australia. So now's the perfect time to do something for it. So we'll literally like with that day um, came up with like, let's, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And we literally just, it was as simple as writing, you know, Aboriginal Shades of Deadly on a piece of paper and taking a photo and, posting that on our socials and that went again viral yeah. because of the too strong for you Karen and it was all the, that's what was being talk, spoken about then um so yeah that went absolutely viral and it was really really nice like so we sort of made it um put it out there being like you know we want to see your shades of deadly like send us photos yeah. post photos and hashtag shades of deadly and it was so, so beautiful seeing what people came up with. Um, and we got really, really nice messages being like, you know, I've always been ashamed or I've always been told that I wasn't Aboriginal and I, I didn't feel like I could embrace it. But, you know, after seeing this campaign and after seeing this this photo, I really feel like I can do that now and I'm going to start doing that. So we got a lot of really positive messages from that and, yeah, it showed that, you know, we're doing the things, the right things for the right reason and, it's not to sell stuff, but it's to educate and tell stories. And I think in business, um, we're agile and we're small, so we can be by the pool and turn a campaign around in literally days mm -hmm. with a T-shirt. You know, from the moment that came out, um, Shades of Deadly was sort of bubbling away small. We launched it in a bigger way, building on what was happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And on our last day, we're at, waiting for our plane. We're at Finn's Beach House, <laughs> the beach resort. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, we're the only people with laptops <laughs> um, out there. And I said, who is the first person in the, in the world who's going to buy our first Shades of Deadly tea? And just being able to, like, it was incredible for me to think that you can be wherever you want in the world and so connected and mm. sell stuff mm. and create stuff of concepts like. And have a cocktail at the same time, like that we, cele <laughs> we celebrate yeah, it with a first cocktail. person to buy a taste of dressing pizza to celebrate with in the cocktail. <laughs> and um, try to guess gender, state, you know, just cool, cool, fun things. But like we um, are like completely invested in our campaigns, but also the people that um, purchase our stuff as well. Mm. I um, it, it's kind of crazy how things can like go viral now like I think that it has um given us kind of a, some power back in, in you know elevating the things that matter to us as a, as a people and I wonder because I remember the first time that like one of our posts went really big and kind of being freaked out and like oh my gosh all of a sudden there's so many thousands of people who've seen this and what the heck and <laughs> um I wonder if you guys can talk about you know the social media journey, because I think that, um, you know, it's probably a, a big part of your success as a business now is visibility on social media. And um, yeah, has there been anyone in particular you've been surprised about knowing who you guys are or buying your stuff? Any um, any high profiles or yeah, what's what's the social? We get all, I don't think we think about too no. much about that. And like, I always get people who are in this space, like in marketing and in work and business and that and um and they work for bigger brands like corporate brands and they go you know you've got to get those influencers on board and you've got to go get those big high profile people and you've got to 
send them stuff and get them to take this photo and that photo. And I take it like I, then I took a step back and thought about it. I was like, all those people that buy our stuff, like we've already got those people, like we've got influencers, like we've had Tal Williams, um, Brooke Blurden, and we've had some sports people buy our stuff, but we haven't had to message them and say, hey, want to wear our stuff and look cute and take a photo? Like they've just willingly bought the stuff and taken a photo and posted it because they like our messaging behind it. And that's the same with um, people, you know, just community members and non-Indigenous people as well as they they buy our stuff and they're so proud to have our stuff that they, they take the photos and they create our content. Mm-hmm. And for a second I was freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, I need content, I need content, I need to organise photo shoots and we don't have time to organise photo shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, but then someone told me, like, you know, you've got such a huge following that are so proud to be yourself and they make your content for you. And he's like, a lot of brands don't have that. They have to do the messaging and get the influencers to take the photos and post the photos and you have to pay them that. And he's like, what's really cool about you is you've never had to do that and you've never had to think about it. People do it naturally. So I'm trying to take more um, advantage of, you know, the people that take the photos and create our content for them and sharing them because, you know, it's not all about us. but we want to celebrate those people who are wearing our T-shirts mm. and are starting to have those conversations and, you know, are out there educating people because that's what we want people to do. Yeah. So we don't really care, you know, who's the biggest, most famous person oh, in our, no. in our I think, clothes. I think that's what will separate our brands from the rest of the brands. I, was, I went on um, with a family holiday to the Grampians and I was saying to the team when I got back, I was so excited because I was in the little rock pool and there were some girls next to me and they said, are you from Clothing the Gap? I'm like... I wasn't. I was so flattered because, and um, not because they recognised me, but because through, I created that relationship with my customers through a brand. And you look at some of the big brands, like you know, I always just reflect on Nike. You don't know who those people are behind the brands. I never want to change that. Um, if I'm goofy or whatever, and Sienna's a bit glossy, and people know they're better, that's okay. Um, and certainly for me, it's just as important um, that the Arnie's. Um, that can't afford to buy a t-shirt get a free t-shirt than the influencers and I'll always stand by that like we give away a lot of stuff um, but it's important to me that we give it away to the right people the people that Mm. really love our stuff but maybe can't afford it um, Mm. versus sending it to people who get sent free shit all the time. Mm. I think that you're 100% right that is what separates your brand and I think it's um, so true to to who we are as, as a community as like one mob across the country we see through all the bull and and we do really care, you know, and, and want to make those relationships. And, you know, even coming onto this chat today, I, I feel like I know you guys a little bit because I've, I've seen you so much on the page and I love that. Um, so, yeah, congratulations with, with what you've built and uh, that's why, yeah, you're 100% right. Something I, I wanted to ask you about, um, which I think, you know, is a question that comes up quite a bit, uh, especially when it comes to Aboriginal brands is sort of the messaging you you give non-Indigenous people when it comes to wearing your products Um, because I know that a lot of people love you know I've had a lot of non-Indigenous people reach out and be like I love this I love this shirt you were wearing is it okay if I get it and how do you talk to um, the non-Indigenous community when it comes to that? I I guess when the brand started and we mentioned it earlier we were creating the products for Aboriginal people as health promotion incentives Um, and that's what I was used to and all of the stuff I created looked a bit like the stuff from Bandara. It was like a whole lot of design. It was really, really busy. Um, and this is where Sienna really come in and said, look, 
your stuff's cool, but I've gone home to my housemates and the white fellas and they said they wouldn't wear it. <laughs> Do you want to take over? What happened? <laughs> so, like, Laura's designs are beautiful and, you know, people, non-Indigenous people think it's beautiful as well, but they feel like they have this thing that they're not allowed to wear it and they want to celebrate Aboriginal culture and they want to support Aboriginal people, but they feel like they're not allowed. So I'm like, how do we create this space or and how do we create this brand that invites non-Indigenous people into wearing our clothes? And I think the, the name itself mm. said that, Clothing the Gap, you know, this is an Australian initiative. It's Closing the Gap, but it's an Australian initiative. It's not just an Aboriginal people's initiative. Yeah. So that sort of was there, a, a buying, and I thought that was really um, clever. That was mm. Laura, Laura thought of that name. Um, and then just thinking, like, let's strip it back and make it really, really simple at the start to get people feeling comfortable wearing this stuff. And, you know, and we we're really smart about our messaging, like when we first um, released and when we first came out on Instagram, I purposely got the models. I had five, six different models and all of those people looked very, very different. They were from all ages, like boys and girls, um, and very very diverse from people from australia people from sudan we had like an um indian australian um and then scottish person and then we had older people as well because we wanted to make it really clear that this isn't for a specific ethnicity this isn't for a specific gender and it's not for a specific age either so um i think that was super super important to us um and you know i think we're quite clear in our messaging that you know we want it's for non-Indigenous people and Indigenous people, but you still get those messages yeah. daily. And I think, um, yeah, we create a platform for people to step up and into, and the main messaging was, um, you know, I'm clothed, clothing the gap and mm -hmm. having a whole range of people say, I'm clothing the gap, I'm doing my piece to for health equity in this country, and one of the ways that I can do that is by buying a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as part of the self-determination piece of us controlling, having Aboriginal health in Aboriginal hands, um, we don't need anyone else in this space, mm. but having the financial support and backing from people mm -hmm. who can, you know, wear our stuff, that's one thing, buy our stuff, but have those conversations that come with our T-shirts mm. when they buy them is equally important. Mm. And I think we make it easy for people. We provide an answer for people to mm. be able to help. Mm. You always get, you know, those those non-Indigenous people, which like they're lovely, but they're like, I want to help close the gap and I want to help the Aboriginal people. And I'm like, I don't know how you're going to do that. You don't, one, you don't even know any Aboriginal people. So I'm like, let us grassroots businesses and organisations and yeah. Aboriginal people do that. We know how to look after Aboriginal people. We know what's best for Aboriginal people and our, and our community and our culture. If you want to support, you can support Aboriginal business by purchasing something, you know, having these conversations and, and you know, doing the small things that really matter um, and let Aboriginal people, you know, do the grassroots health. But you're things. right, it does take a lot of convincing to get people to wear things. Like the original Clean the Gap tea with the embroidery is a safe bet. Um, this design I'm wearing now, that always was, always will be by Carla Scotto, um, is our bestseller and she as she's the non-indigenous artist herself and she gifted that as her way to pay the rent and certainly like um for our allies in the space that certainly was an incredible gift to us but also the mob who are choosing to wear this design in replace of the original flag at the moment until we free it mm. um so there are different ways that people can step up and help in the space and certainly we're really honest about what that 
looks like and whether it's useful mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, stepping a, a little bit at a bigger picture um, outside of just the, the brand, but I guess um, both of you have uh, become, you know, especially because of how committed you are to being visible as part of the brand and, and um, very much a part of that story, um, you've become uh, amazing examples of um, boss Aboriginal women who are taking on leadership roles and, you know, being business women. And I think sometimes within our community, we, you know, I feel like I've even been like this myself, that that feels like a foreign concept to me and it's hard to strive for. And um, yeah, did you, did you ever think you'd be running a brand like this? And um, what's been some big lessons that you've learned uh, from a business sense? Mm, well, um, for me, it's just surrounding yourself with the right people. Like I wouldn't be in the position if I was in, if I didn't have met Laura and Sarah and, you know, they've been awesome, awesome people to work for and work with because they have given me these opportunities to step up in leadership positions. And I don't know, they're they're always continuously pushing me out of my comfort zone. Um, If I'm too comfortable, then I need to start doing something else as well, which is really, really scary and nervous. But I, and I probably hated them at the time when they forced me to do things I don't want to do. Um, But at the end of the day, it's helped me grow as a person. Um, I think I have I am a lot more confident in myself and my decisions now is like I would never have thought I was a creative person or ever a business person or I knew anything about everything I do. Like when people call me creative or a designer, I was like, what? I'm not that person. Mm. Um, but now yeah, being put in those, being forced to be put in those positions and actually seeing what I've been able to do um, has been really amazing. And I think, I guess, um, for me sort of, you know, being founding like a couple of businesses now. Um, so the other business I've got is the Crew Circle and so these earrings. So that was a re- and I don't talk about it, but it gets really, I think, confusing for people about who am I. So I'm trying to sort of figure out how I tell that story and how we can wear, have multiple identities. But I um, I think the Crew Circle is like four years old. It's a f- foundational, I think, in terms of closing the gap, in terms of how do we see why it's important to have Aboriginal design in the world and why it's important to me that we're visible and why um, I like to share and see design, Aboriginal design in the world and especially share my earrings with my sisters, like that's where that started. Um, I absolutely love business and um, one, we get to make our own decisions really, really quickly. We don't, um, we're super fast. Um, We're responsive we're vocal, um, it would be very hard to go, to lose that. And this whole concept of self-determination, I feel like we've got it in business. We, a really great example of this was when we decided to, from $20 from the sales of all our T-shirts, we're going to donate to the bushfires. And I remember being at one of my sister girl's 30th, 30th birthday party and my phone was going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I'm thinking, I'm here right now and I'm having a couple of drinks. And I'm raising money for a cause. Like I felt at that moment Mm. so powerful. Like this is what business allows us to do that. If you can set it up right, you can continue to be making money in the back end and supporting whatever cause you want and deciding how you do that without having to ask the government or convince them what's your priority. We decide what our priorities are. Um, And Ranron is a perfect example of that. Like we've raised now over $60,000 in three weeks. And we choose 
what health promotion initiative we want to work with. And whether that's an investment in Shades of Deadly and we've Santa and spoken about that and rolling that out in schools or, mm. you know, we do run a change maker program around, um, you know, grassroots advocacy and inspire younger people to step up. We don't know yet, but we're making those decisions about how, how we do it. Um, and certainly I feel like it's the right time for community to do it, like um, without being... Um, criticise that they're trying to be, I don't know, big shots or I've seen more and more mm. um, Aboriginal people stepping up and trying their space in business and certainly we spend time um, coaching people just quite naturally, sharing their brands and encouraging them to do it and wearing other people's and using other people's products as mm. much as we can as well. Yeah, that's it, it is amazing and I think, um, yeah, that whole that whole giving back sort of thing and, and you know, set, lifting everyone else else up together is um such a beautiful thing and so we will talk about run rona now you've um convinced me to run 10 kilometers which i've never done in my life um (laughs) which i you know honestly i have never been a runner i love the gym and i like going in there and i'm good at kind of switching off the second i've got weights in my hands or whatever but switching into a trying to be a running person it's like a full spiritual experience like I've never run this far and like it's scary but I love it and I thank you for that so where when did you kind of decide okay we're gonna we're gonna do this Mm. by the fire (laughs) I feel like I'm an alcoholic I'm having a couple of and, and we've always maintained our physical health in the in our office. Like it's really important um, to us that we all stay fit and healthy, and we support each other in that. And Sienna had been running, and the girls had been running. I said they sort of lost their mojo, and they said it's because they didn't have anything to train for. This concept of a virtual run we'd been thinking about, um, but it wasn't the right time to press play. And you know, once this happened, the catchy name Run Rona. Um, you know, bubbling away is sort of an idea. Not as much work on. Um, we'd lost a lot of most of our corporate gigs in schools and companies, so we had a little bit more space. And we just decided if we we're going to do it, we would have to move quickly. Sienna done some great comms around it. You know, we just once I designed the medal, I thought that there was just an absence of um, Indigenous designed medals or much in the running space at all, and. I think, um, and then we spoke a lot about how do we get non-Indigenous people involved Mm. a lot and we Mm. struggled because we couldn't think of anyone really that we knew who could be an ambassador who was an Aboriginal. Who's our ambassador going to be? And Marley, you came to mind straight away. We've got Marley, we've got, you know, tell, we've got our sports people. All right, who are those non-Indigenous people? And we were stuck. We've got Eddie Betts, we've got this one. Oh, but do you know any white? Oh, unlikely really. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, we, uh, we we invested in Facebook market marketing for the first time, and I said I was going to put a hundred dollars a day on it. It was US. I didn't realise. Laura is the worst. Laura is the best business person, but sometimes the worst business person. She's like going and putting a Facebook ad up. I'm like, you're about to put four hundred US dollars on that, and she's like, no, 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 no. And then she does it anyway, and I was like, and then she realizes she. D- spent 400 US dollars. I'm like, you've just spent six, seven, I don't know my maths, but $700 Oz and you didn't even know and you don't even care. Well, I mean, I I tell you what, but I think it was working because I freaked and I sent that to you, Sienna, in my gym's Facebook group. Someone had posted in there and I live in the Sutherland Shire. 
the, one of the whitest places on earth. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> like it's reaching people that it would, you know, never. I, I mean, awesome. and I'll be open about investing in Facebook marketing. It was the first time we've ever done it. Mm. Um, to have, um, once we had the Richmond sponsorship deal, I said, whatever um, that looks like and the partnership, we're going to invest some of that into advertising. And certainly when that Facebook ads, um, for anyone who's listening, who's in business, as soon as that Facebook ad runs out, it affects the amount of registrations we get every day. So having some cash behind you to be able to invest in marketing off things certainly works. And we haven't never, ever done that, including the gap before. So mm. everything's been quite organic. Mm. So um, I think that was the next stage for, you know, for us in business too, to see what would happen if we started to do pay promotion of our clothes and not just our event. Where mm. would that bring our mm. brand and visibility in this space? Mm. Yeah. And how many regos are you up to? The last one, I, yeah. I reckon 1,500. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. I think the story of um, Run Rona is, um, I think, I mean, it's an incredible story. And I think one, maybe five days in after sort of brainstorming how to get white fellas involved and then having so many registers so quickly, the opposite thing happened. We felt like, like, I'm sick. There's not enough black fellas doing it. Like, in all honesty, like, I just did a, I don't like the event. (laughs) This is not what I'm put on this earth for. This does not address my why. None of this is what I'm about. Yes, it's making us. Um, I had a friend say, you should be proud. You're making money to be able to do the work you need to do. But certainly um, it, it didn't fulfil um, our vision. So we come up with that um, code that gave mob 50% off. And then we seen an increase in participation. And then we worked hard on um, building community partnerships. So with local Aboriginal organisations and sporting clubs, brought them on board as community partners. And none of that brought additional income to the event, but certainly gave us motivation to keep playing in the space. And, and increased so, Aboriginal participation. Yeah, mm. and it gives me a really, really great example for everyone else um, who's running um, sort of a mainstream kind of an event to think about how do we include people um diversity in groups and whether that's through a tiered pricing structure what we've done and or cultural overlay of um, indigenous design in the marketing um, mm-hmm. and profiling Santa's done an incredible job of profiling an amazing amount of ambassadors we've certainly given this run a different feel and as a result we've got more Aboriginal participation and created a lovely platform for non-indigenous people to legit in their own communities run alongside um, Aboriginal people so that's what I'm proud about with Run Rona not the amount of registrations but how we've done really quick pivots to make it more inclusive. And Laura said that really well as well. Imagine if mainstream running events had this tiered price thing or had some more Aboriginal design in there, um, how much more Aboriginal participation there would be. I did the Indigenous Marathon Foundation last year, so I did a lot of running events throughout all of Australia, um, and there aren't enough Indigenous people doing that. Like IMF do a great job at getting more Indigenous people um, on board on things, but you know, why does it have to be an Indigenous foundation or Indigenous Marathon Foundation to ha- work on that? Why can't the mainstream, you know, mm-hmm. Gold Coast Marathon or City to Surf, why can't they have something that helps increase participation? Because it's a, such an amazing thing. And like, what I love most about running is you can, you don't have to have money to run, you don't have to have the equipment, you can be anywhere. 
you don't even have to wear shoes. Like it's probably better to wear shoes because you're injured. But like knowing, like you don't need to run. It's so easy, um, so simple. You can do it anywhere. So why isn't there more diversity in it um, at these events? So it would be nice, you know, if anything comes from this that mainstream maybe mainstream events see, and see I, how we're doing things. And, and I mean, like it was one of those moments again where I was actually really shit scared, or when I put it the Kodak Weller together, I thought. What will non-Indigenous Australians think when I've got a different pricing tier for based on nationalities? Um, and I was worried about that. And then I was worried that people would abuse the code and neither of those things happened. So I certainly feel like if I was in an organisation, maybe I wouldn't have been able to pivot so quickly. People would have said, no, you can't do that. They would have held that process up. Whereas we just put things out in the world and if it doesn't work, then we quickly change it. If that was a complete disaster, we would have just pulled it down. But instead, we found out that it really that it, it worked, um, and yeah, and hopefully sets precedence for how we do other events in the future. Mm. Yeah, and I, I feel like being able to be that dynamic, you know, particularly in the period that we're currently in, is what makes you know your business so sustainable and um, really successful. It's an amazing thing, and I think you know. Um, if mainstream running events can simply accept the fact that wherever they are across Australia, they're on Aboriginal land, they should really be taking that into consideration. So I, I really hope that's exactly what happens. And um, I thank you for pushing me, Sienna, because I would never have done this on my own accord. <laughs> how do you feel? Oh, like, ask people um, how they feel when they're like running. Like, what's your relationship with running like now? Um, it's. I'm finding it easier to kind of switch my mind off and that's that's my favourite thing about um, exercise is kind of it for me it's active meditation. I'm not very good at meditating in general and um, I'm getting there. It's uh, taken a while. I used My mind was too loud at the beginning but starting to be quieter and, um, yeah, and I feel like oh, I feel so accomplished every time I finish a run because like, you just go that little bit further every time and, that's the best bit and I'm sure a lot of other people having the same experience um well thank you so much for having this conversation with me today um I think that what you're doing your business minds are incredible and I feel like I've learned so much in, in listening to this and um you guys I imagine have a very long future ahead of you as a as a brand and um yeah there's so much respect for you already and I I'm so glad that people get to to watch the journey alongside you. Um, just to finish, I, I guess it would be great to hear, you know, it's always hard to look too far into the future, but, you know, what's maybe something you'd really like to see happen for Clothing the Gap in the next five years or even just for yourselves personally? Well, laws, like the whole thing a deadly thing. Mm-hmm. Laws came up with and so we're doing like a video um, compilation now and Marley your video is amazing um, and we've gotten heaps of videos and people have put so much work into you know making their video and sending it to us talking about their shade of deadly and why they're proud to be Aboriginal and Laura's had an idea of why what would it look like if we made this a school resource and schools started to have this in their lesson plans and their curriculum um, so that's probably one of my goals now is to um, have what we do because we're an education tool as well. We don't want to just sell clothes is what sort of campaigns can we make that schools can use as resources mm-hmm. so schools can learn more about Aboriginal culture and history and um, 
yeah, in a contemporary way and, you know, by Aboriginal people. Yeah, so that's my goal. Um, I don't think that far ahead, like we've never had a business plan, um, <laughs> you know, says the person who did it from the US and Australian dollars, um, but it's okay. Um, I will say um, that um, that's what I like about us. It keeps us fresh and um, dynamic and edgy because we just go with what's presenting at the moment as well. Obviously, we stay true to our the difference when the impact we want to make all the time, but how we get there often is on what's current. Um, but my latest project um, is really, really soon. It's eight weeks away. So Marley, you know how you're doing 10Ks now? Maybe you can do half a marathon. Yes. And our NADOC marathon event. <laughs> so this idea of, Oh my oh gosh. No. So, you know, building on the success of Run Rona and knowing that there's going to be a whole lot of disappointment around um, NADOC week being postponed postponed this year what can we do how do we get people to set their next running challenge so we are recreating a virtual NAOC march um which will be incredible and um you know and that part of it's a community activity where it's five dollars you get a really cool fist patch um we'll get down and do some really nice comms around people marching in their community so they feel like they've still had an ADOC week but at the same time um, extending people who jumped on board Run Rona and their distances and um, we've designed another really cool medal. So we're just waiting to see how that lands and feels in the community but certainly that's what we're thinking about doing and I think for the Aboriginal community I think we should all be thinking about what can we do in our own spaces to make NAIDOC week a thing for all of us during July still even though we're in ice possibly still be in isolation. Wow, that's awesome. That's going to be so cool. I'm really um, glad we're going to be able to still feel like it's NADOC, even though it's not. It'll be weird to get to July and not have that. So um, that's amazing. You guys are the coolest. Um, I want to be like you. And um, thank you so much again. It's um, It's been so great to talk to you and and hopefully in some time in the post corona era i get to see you in real life when i'm down in melbourne <laughs> that'll be awesome thanks marley thank you <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of always was always will be our stories thank you to laura and sienna for making the time to be on the show and for everything you do if you aren't following clothing the gap what are you doing get on there support them and grab some of their apparel it truly is so amazing and it means something as well if you are enjoying the show and you want to see it keep happening please make sure to subscribe on spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts so you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops every single week you can also stay up to date with the show by following us on instagram at always our stories and if you've got a suggestion of an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander role model you'd like to hear on the show, let us know. Always Was, Always Will Be, Our Stories is produced, written and recorded by me, Marley Silver. This episode was made on Darawal country. I acknowledge this country and pay my respects to its people and their unbroken and unceded connection to this land, which has lasted for time immemorial. Catch you next time and stay deadly. <laughs>